Hello, hello. Welcome back to Big Fat Five, a podcast financially supported by Big Fat Snare Drum. Today's guest is Liberty DeVito, the rhythmic powerhouse behind 22 of Billy Joel's 23 top 40 hits and all six of his Grammy award-winning recordings. His ability to seamlessly switch between mature session drummer and bombastic showman should be a guiding light for a lot of players, young and old alike. I had a blast talking with Liberty as we broke down the top five influences that shaped his drumming style. Also, go buy his damn book, which we talk about throughout. Cheers. Yeah, records were my books, and uh, I used to listen and sit there with, with my parents' stereo, and I would try to I'd be mimicking uh, Ringo, you know, because I'd practice through those Beatles records. And uh, I, I realized that I could get lost in the song because I didn't know where I was. I'm not reading music and stuff like that. So I would learn the lyrics, too, and I would sing along so I knew where I was. And, um, and as I'm playing and I'm singing along with the, the song, I'm realizing, wow, you know, the drummer doesn't fill when the singer stops singing. <laughs> and the drummer doesn't fill to take the singer and the whole band into a more exciting place, mm-hmm. like the um, uh, the bridge or the chorus of the song. Yeah. So, you know, I actually took that in the studio with me with Billy Joel. And uh, I, while the other guys were getting charts and writing out chords and all that kind of stuff, I would get his lyrics because mm-hmm. I wanted to know what he's singing about. Because I believe that a song called uh, I-, I Love You More Than Anything is going to be played a whole lot different than a song called I Hate Your Guts So Much I'm Driving My Car Through Your Parents' House. You know, it's going to be a lot, <laughs> yes. of, a lot of China and, and double pedal in that one. You know? Sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so that, that's what I did. I just, I like to s- play the lyrics. Another reason why I ask is because I feel, and it gets in my way sometimes, that I'm so focused on technique because you hear from all your, you know, you have all the little whispers of your past teachers, like, do this, hold it like this, blah, blah, blah. And a lot of my favorite drummers, they don't have bad technique, but they just have their own technique that would have never been taught, whether that's inherently part of their sound. Um, do you feel that was something that you had to overcome being self-taught? Or is it just like, this is, you know, this is how Liberty plays. This is how I'm going to play. I don't care. Well, it's funny because... Um... It wasn't until I was already with Billy and we had a whole bunch of records and all that kind of stuff that a couple of guys from a local Long Island drum uh, uh, store, and Dom Famularo was one of them. You know Dom, right? Oh, Dom yeah, Famularo? yeah. Yeah, yeah. He was one of them. He came to the show. They stood behind me down in the pit there while I played. Yeah. And after the show, they said, you know, you have a natural molar swing. And I went... What's a molar swing? <laughs> yeah. you know? You're like, thanks? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thanks, but uh, what is that? You know? So I didn't know. And yeah. it just, you know, whatever felt comfortable to me, that, that's, you know, like putting your, your drums close together, my rims touch, you know, and I, I see some guys like the toms are so far apart, and, you know, they sit far away, you know, the height of the seat, I was able to adjust the way I felt good, not somebody telling me, you should sit lower, you know, or you should sit higher, you know? So a couple of guys, you know, um, I, I have a book, you know, I have a book out. You yeah. Know that? yeah. <laughs> I, <do>. well, <laughs> I was going to bring it up later, but we could talk about it now. Yeah. <laughs> no, we're not going to talk about it. But, but I say it in the book a couple of times that it wasn't a drummer that actually told me to do certain things mm-hmm. like the horn players in, uh, in when I played with Mitch Ryder, the horn players in the band said, you're great. You've got a great feel. Get yourself a metronome. So, and practice to the metronome because your fills sometimes, you know, come out and horn plays are right, right on, you know? So that was, a, that was a point of, of like, uh, okay, that's cool. I'll do that. And then once a bass player, I was playing with a band in, in um, um, Baltimore and a bass player turned to me and he said, okay, this is what you got to do. Just grab the sticks where they're comfortable and keep them loose. Keep them loose. You'll see you're going to flow so much easier. It was like, yeah, that worked. But a drummer never told me anything good. <laughs> you know? Yeah, being being loose is definitely something I 
I halfway through a show, I'm like, what are you doing, Ben? You're like, your knuckles are white. Like, what the hell, you know? Yeah, I have a, a lot of kids come up to me and they go, wow, how do you strike the drum so hard? You must hold the sticks really tight. And I said, said no, go ahead, pull it out of my hand. And it just goes, it just comes right out of my hand. It's yeah. not until I hit the snare drum that I tighten my fingers. Oh, you know? okay. Yeah. So it's loose all the way until I hit the drum. Yeah. Speaking of the book, by the way, I'll just, I want to say it real quick. It's called Liberty, Life, Billy, and the Pursuit of Happiness. I have not read it, uh, but it is on my list. And so I'm, I'm really excited because it's, I mean, the reviews on it are insane. Everyone loves it. It's crazy. It's crazy. You know, it started out just as a, a I wanted to do a little history of my family for mm -hmm. my kids. So they would uh, know where we came from. They come from sure. Italy and everything. Because so it starts like that, you know. Yeah. But then when me and Billy parted ways, I thought, let me write about my career with Billy, you know, because it was 30 years of playing music. Yeah. And I had just come out of Hired Gun, that, uh, the um, I uh, watched documentary. That documentary. Yeah. Yep. You know, so it was like, okay, I can write about this now. And um, uh, I took the, the view of, of trying to put myself in Billy's shoes, mm -hmm. you know, and I did the same thing with my dad in the book and, and other people. And why did they do the things that they do? You mm -hmm. know, why did Billy cut people from the band at certain point, uh, get a different uh, uh, producer at certain point. You know, the man has had a 40-year career now. It's insane, And he's yeah. still going strong. And he had to make some cuts and changes, you know? It, it, the people that were cut, they felt bad. But Billy was like, you know, I've got to do this. I've got to change, you mm -hmm. know? Just like the Beatles broke up, but Wings went on, and Lennon went on, and, John, you know, they all went on. Exactly. But everybody's sad because they broke up speaking of going back to the beginning um i know like one of my favorite drummers levon helm and then of course yes. ringo they they really paid their dues by playing a lot of hours and nights in clubs playing cover bands uh tunes top 40 hits before they made it to the mainstream and and you're in that same group of you paid your dues that way so how can you explain how that kind of helped you become the arranger that you were in the studio with with Billy and the whole crew? Or when you put your um, um, your life on the line, <laughs> say, when you're playing those clubs, you know, yeah. uh, and you play uh, to people that, that don't want to hear you, they, mm -hmm. they, they really don't care, you know. And then they say you got to play top 40 stuff. Playing top 40 stuff in the beginning was great because you're learning, you know, you're hearing. My, my thing was has always been, when, when, when kids are like, oh, did you, did you hear Dave Weckl? Oh, oh, did you hear Vinnie Caliuta? And they go, oh, they do have some chops. They do the solos and they do all this stuff. I say, you know what? Listen to like one of the bigger bands like ACDC. And you love them. They don't do what Vinnie Caliuta does. But why? What makes you love them? What is he doing that makes you love them? That's the part that a lot of kids miss. And when you're playing top 40 stuff, you're, you're feeling like, what did Charlie Watts do in that? You know, when I try to play uh, uh, now, sometimes I, I play with bands and we play these big parties and stuff and they want top 40 stuff and guys love to play Rolling Stones. I can, he, Charlie Watts is probably the most difficult drummer to copy because I can't put any Liberty DeVito in there. Okay. You yeah. have to be Charlie Watts mm -hmm. the way he plays. And if you throw a Liberty DeVito in there, it's like wrong. It's just wrong, you know, because he has such a presence in the Rolling Stones that, you know, talk about somebody who developed his own style. Sure. You know, so, yeah, that. so I learned all that from playing in the clubs and, and paying my dues, and, you know, like really dragging your drums home, loading them in the car and, you know. I mean, yeah. when I first got a roadie, it was like, what is this man sent from <laughs> Am I heaven? in heaven? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> One of my favorite interviews I've, I've seen you done is, is actually with Dino, which we'll get into later because I do want to start yeah. getting into the, the Big Fat Five. But you were talking about, I, I forget the song, but you were you were complimenting him on his choices. On There was an intro of a Rascal song where it's da boom, da, 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 right. where it's just a little bit of a flutter on the kick drum. And that kind of stuff, it's kind of the whole theme of this whole podcast is I get off so much more on that kind of stuff, yeah. just a simple choice that you're like, I would have never thought of that. Or, oh, he goes to the floor, Tom, on the third verse. What? You know? Yeah, well, that, that's the stuff when, when 
you know, uh, I mean, Dino had chops and, and, and uh, he told me that that first set of drums that he played with, uh, with the Rascals, he got from Cozy Cole because he used to go see them at the Metronome. I think, Metropole, I think a lot of guys actually, rather than actually taking lessons and sitting with somebody and playing, watched more than anything else. Mm-hmm. And you take a little bit from this guy. You take a little bit from that guy. You know, uh, I remember the first time I saw Dom Familaro do that little flip with the foot that goes, you know, and you you do the snap off the floor, Tom and snare at the same time. Yep. I said, that's it. And I started Stormfront, the song Stormfront, all the time with that lick. When I saw, yeah. I saw him play solo for like an hour and a half, but that was the one thing that I saw that I said, okay, that's a good one. I like that. I can use that in my stuff, you know? So hearing Dino do that, boom. It was just such an accent because they're just going, uh, 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 uh. it was like, whoa, it's like <laughs> frightening half the time, you know? And it's probably something that someone could do on the second day playing drum set, but it's like, that's oh, yeah. not what matters. No, I remember, yeah. you know, Willie, the bass player, Willie. I, I don't, he played, he played with the David Letterman band, the, the oh, okay. most dangerous yeah, yeah. band in the world. Sure, sure. He came in the studio when we were making Stormfront. Okay. And uh, he was listening to the song Stormfront. And uh, it, it comes to the book, but where uh, Billy goes, uh, Stormfront, morning on the Beaufort scale. And then the second verse comes in, and I just go, bah, 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 um, right? And we're in. Will went, went nuts because I went, bah, bah, bah. and he plays with the heaviest guys ever. Exactly. You know? <laughs> it's just that those little things well it's funny too and i'm sure this has happened to every drummer when you're in the studio when billy would just be like or anyone um hey just i'm trying to work this thing out can you just do like a, a beat or something in the background and then you're like talking to the trumpet player or something just doing something crazy and then you or like sorry not crazy you just put like a two and four and then subconsciously he does something so you do this little like fill while you're talking to someone else and he's like what did you just do and you're like i don't my brain did something so simple, but it was like, and that's the part now that you weren't right. thinking about because it's so elementary. Yeah, I remember telling Phil Ramone, and I wrote it in the book about this song, My Life. You know, he wanted the straight bass drum. You know, and that really simple fill in the middle of it. And I told him, I said, I'm, I'm not playing that disco shit. I'm not playing it. He threw something on the, on the, on the, uh, the board of the studio, the recording board. And uh, he said to me, he looked at me, he says, look, you've been in this business, what, for 20 minutes now? And you're going to tell me what you're not going to play? Get out there and play it. Yeah. You know, so, of course, I did it. And every time I walk past the gold single that's on my wall, I, I think, <laughs> OK, he was right. You know, because yeah. you always want to do something that somebody's going to say, oh, that thing you did in that song was great. You mm-hmm. know, but you have to go deeper than the part that's being played. It's why it was being played. Yeah. You know. Which ties in directly to kind of why you are who you are today with these top five. Um, I do want to qu- talk really quickly, though. You mentioned Phil, Phil Ramon, because you've credited him as being the reason you became the studio drummer that everyone yeah. loves you for. Yeah. Well, Phil, um, Phil came to see us play. Uh, first, Billy was looking for a producer. This is after we did Turnstiles, the first album that I yep. played with Billy. Then we were about to do the next album, which eventually became The Stranger. And um, uh, Billy was looking for a producer. And he asked George Martin first, the Beatles' George Martin. Yeah. He came, he yeah. came to see us play. And, and uh, after the show, we were all excited about it. And Billy meets with him. And Billy comes back. And we, we said, well, what happened? What's going on? You know, he's going to produce the Beatles. He's going to produce us now. Yeah. And Billy goes, he wants to produce me. We're like, yeah, great. And Billy says, but he wants to go studio, guys. And we were like, oh, frag him. He sucks anyway. He didn't do anything since the Beatles. <laughs> exactly. You know? Yeah, so exactly. Got, yeah, yeah. He's doing you know? so, yeah. so the next choice was Phil because he was a staff uh, Columbia Records guy. Mm. He was on the, on the staff and um, staff producer. And um, he came to see us. We played Carnegie Hall. And he met with us and he said, look, when you get in the studio, I want you to be the rock and roll animals that you are on stage. But he taught us. When somebody heard The Stranger, they said it sounded like you played like you play, but somebody tied your testicles to the stool so you couldn't jump out of your seat. You know, 
It was more control. Yeah, yeah. You know, and when we first did Moving Out was the first song that we recorded with Phil. Mm-hmm. Billy, Billy's part, Billy, well, Billy wanted, you know, the song goes, dun, bum, dun, 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 dun. Yep. Billy wanted me to play, dun, bum, have more of an intro feel to it yeah 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 but phil says "Uh uh-uh this is what people want boom 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 that's what they want he's not wrong that song just starts off in a groove right away yeah it just starts you know and everybody thinks i play 16s on the hi-hat but i don't why should i billy billy's doing them i just went that's a thing that a lot of people don't realize too is just is uh spread the subdivision love you know hey y'all i wanted to (laughs) i can't say i wanted to talk to you about a drum i've recently received from preston at vessel drum co it's an ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum and it's incredible it's got a 1.5 millimeter shell brass shell with 10 lugs, chrome over brass, triple flange hoops, a trick uh, three-position strainer, 42-strand wires. It's lovely, it's loud, and it cuts and records as beautiful as a piece of butter cake. And, and Preston, actually, this is why it's called the Ocean Patina, is he covers the shell with seaweed and then drops it in the ocean for a certain period of time, and then it patinas with all these crazy cool designs. And if you all remember... Preston was actually one of the first guests on the podcast. When I first started out, I didn't really know what the Big Fat Five format was going to be or if it was going to be even Big Fat Five at all. But I went to his garage, his his you know where he makes all of his drums. It was really cool. He walked me through the episode is essentially from start to finish what happens with a drum, and it was it was a really fun episode. It's now archived at bigfatsnaredrum.com, just because it doesn't fit the format of Big Fat Five. I want you to get back to the show, but go check it out. This drum is beautiful, and he actually let me use it on an Eve 6 tour, and I didn't keep it, and I regretted it ever since then, just because I was trying to pinch pennies at the time, and I just kept thinking about it, and so the opportunity to get it again was presented, and it is one of my favorite drums. So the Ocean Patinaed 14 by 5.5 snare drum. Check it out. Reach out to me. Go to Vessel Drum Co., the Instagram's just at Vessel Drum Co. and check it out. It's amazing. It's beautiful. Sounds great. Bye. Um, but you do. I like in that 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 song. You do kind of those like sixteenth note hi hat barks, um, yeah. very very tastefully. Um, and that you know when you learn the song, you're like, where does he do them? And trying to figure that out. That that's again, that's that thing that anyone can do a hi hat bark, but it's just the way you placed them and how sparse you were with them. Uh, that's that's way way cooler to me than doing some six stroke roll into a china symbol you know yeah well i think i think it it's also i don't think about it that much mm. you know like those things if, if you said how did you come up with those little hi-hat bars and i'd be like i don't i don't know it just yeah. fit you yeah. know it was take three and i did it there and yeah 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 that's awesome well okay so we we got you on it's a big fat five so i want to talk about um, the five things, and I'm sure there's a million, you know, that you could have cho- chosen, but you chose a few of them that kind of were a big part um, in the development of of who you are as a player. So I'm going to say one A because one A and one one B are both about fills. So the first right. one is uh, Nigel Olson, um, his fill on "Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me" uh, by Elton John. So let me just play it. I'm going to play it for those if you want to find it yourself. It's around the 425-27 mark. And then let me let me play it, and then we can talk about it. It's it's very yep. very short. Right here. I start so many fills with that, the dap boom, and then I just go somewhere else with it. But I overuse that so much too. Yeah, that was the first time I ever heard that. I can remember I played with a band uh, called Super's Jamboree, and I remember sitting in Super's uh, house, and he played that for me. And he goes, "Listen to this fill; it's so great." You know, it's like, okay, okay, I know how that goes. 
And it was, and it blew me away. It was the first time I ever heard anybody play that in a straight, you know, all the way around. It was very exciting. Yeah. Um, do you do you find that you like to use subdivisions like triplets over a straight time, or is it just that was the first thing that opened your eyes to where like you kind of kind of got outside the box a little bit? That was the first time I heard the outside the box. Uh, actually, um, yeah. And um, also, I, I, there's another time I, I step out of the box. It's in um, still rock and roll to me when okay. I go from the shuffle to the straight. Yeah. Now that, you know, great drummers borrow, uh, good drummers borrow, but great drummers steal. Oh, yeah. So I, I stole that from um, Instant Karma. Alan White plays on uh, Instant Karma. Yes. And he does that, Phil. I saw Alan and I said, you know, uh, I want to thank you because I, I took that fill from, from Instant Karma that you played. And he put his hand out like this, like you wanted money. Dude, totally. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Anyways, buy me a beer over there? What the hell? Yeah. <laughs> right. right. Um, but yeah, those, that first time, that fill. Yeah. Those, those toms sound so good, too. Yeah. We actually just had Kirky B on the podcast, and he was talking about how he got to play Madison Square Garden with Nigel. They did kind of a double drum thing. Yeah. Um, and so I would love to get Nigel on the show because he yeah. uh, Saturday Night's Alright for Fighting is still one of my favorite songs. It's just like when I'm warming up on the drum set, just play along to. We did 10 years together, Billy Joel and Elton John. Oh, uh, really? 10 years, yeah. See, we were very popular on the East Coast. Elton very popular on the West Coast. Mm. So we played together everywhere, sold out. Yeah. You know, and I, I was able to ask Nigel I said, as a student, a student of Nigel Olson, how am I doing? You know, <laughs> we played together, you know. Sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, coming up next is actually, so 1B would be one of my favorite drummers, Jim Gordon. And uh, it's from uh, Low Spark of High Heeled Boys by Traffic. And this is actually the only record that he played on because it's usually Jim, Jim Cabaldi is right. kind of known as a drummer for right. for traffic but um yeah let's just play it's actually around i think the same time if i'm not mistaken uh from the other song it's about around the four and a half minute mark don't worry too much it'll happen to you as sure as your sorrows are joy He's, he's one of those drummers, I think you've talked about how Blaine is that for you, where Jim Gordon's like eight of my favorite drummers. Like, right. oh, he's on that one. He's like, oh, okay, okay, okay. How much of an influence was, was Jim Capaldi on you? Oh, huge. Yeah. Huge influence. Uh, the, all that stuff we do on The Stranger and Stiletto mm-hmm. uh, on that. Yeah. Billy loved the traffic, too. He loved that band. And the first song I ever saw Billy sing we, I played in a club. I was in one band. He was in another band. And I wa- would watch him and he would watch me. When mm-hmm. I was 17 years old and he was 18. And the first song I ever saw him sing was um, Colored Rain by Traffic. It was one mm-hmm. of my favorite songs. And I thought, oh, my God, this guy's great. He's doing a song I love. You know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, Jim, uh, Jim Capaldi, big uh, fan of Jim's. But that first album... Uh, the Traffic album, and then the second one, it's got Pearly Queen on it and stuff like that. It's more polished than the first one. Mm-hmm. You know, the first ones were cool. I mean, they were kind of like a rock band that was experimenting in jazz at the same time. Yeah. You know? All right, so moving on to number two, which is more uh, groove-based. And so it's uh, I'm reading what you wrote me. So it's The Incredible Brush okay. Playing by Russ Kunkel on James Taylor's Fire and Rain from uh, Sweet Baby James. So let's actually just play that from where the drums come in, and then we'll, we'll talk about it. I walked out this morning, and I wrote down this song. I just can't remember who to send it to. I've seen fire and I've seen rain I've seen sunny days that I thought would never end I've seen lonely times when I could not find a friend But I always thought that I'd see you 
You gotta help me make a stand. Yeah. You just got to see me through another. All right. So yeah. Now that amazing. Now I I talked to him about that. Mm-hmm. I talked to Russ about that. Like, how did how did you think to play brushes on that? He said when we were rehearsing the song, I couldn't hear them, so I picked up the brushes and I started to play. And the producer said, "That's it. Play with those." Mm-hmm. And just the fills that he does are so brush oriented, you know. Yeah, the, the way they sound to, to the to the acoustic guitar. I really like um, when when the timber of a guitar and the drum come together. Yeah, yeah. But let me actually play a little bit of "Only the Good Die Young." I do want to uh, just play a song that you play with brushes on. Okay. After, yeah. this, after this interview, you're going to say, when you talk to somebody, you're going to say, oh, Liberty DeVito steals everything. <laughs> yeah, well. Now, if you find uh, Jimi Hendrix, a song called Up From The Skies, if you can find it there and play it right now. Oh, totally, yeah. Up From The Skies? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the brush. But you see, you, you made it a little more poppy. You made it a little right. more approachable. Right. His is real jazzy. Yeah, yeah. 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 But that's, that, that's funny. I like the humility, too. <laughs> like, not only are you admitting it, you're like, play this damn part right now yeah, so people yeah. know. <laughs> well, how many? There's only three things you can do with the drums. You either play a single stroke roll, a double stroke roll, or a rough. Everything is that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you. That's so funny. <laughs> um, all right. So this is the part that I was uh, looking forward to. So yeah. So number three is uh, when you were uh, watching Dino Donelli live with the Rascals, and yes. you specifically said the song "Come On Up," yeah. which is um, the recording of it is from Collections, which I believe is their second record. But um, yeah, let's just play that song so people know what we're talking about and kind of get Dino's style, and then we'll talk about it. good go go a little further sure yeah after after the solo okay now there's a breakdown that that comes now and listen to Dino's bass drum where he puts it You know, he uses that bass drum as an accent, like instead of a fill. Yeah. It's like this very, how do you say, uh, um, sporadic. Yeah. You know, he told me, if you saw that that uh, modern drummer thing that I did mm-hmm. with Dino. It was such a good interview. You guys have a good rapport. Yeah. He said that he was taught by a guy who couldn't pick up his leg on the bass drum. 
Mm-hmm. And he used to play like boom, bop, boom, bop, boom, bop, boom, bop, boom, boom, boom. He used to do it with his hand on mm-hmm. his leg and then go back to playing the, the drum. And that's why it's so sporadic that he does those, those kind of things. If you think about you have to lift up your leg in that break, you have to actually put your hand on your leg and pick it up and then go back to playing. It, yeah. It, you could play that. <laughs> <laughs> and have, have you and Dino over the years become friends post that interview? Or is that just you with your hero and it just seemed like you guys were good friends? Well, we were, I had met him when I was, when I was 17. Mm. Um, and he, when I sat down to do that interview with him, he started to interview me. Like he knew everything that I was doing. Yeah. Because I had met him before over the years, you know, mm-hmm. and I had played with Felix for a year and a half, you know, do, doing uh, just the Felix Cavalieri thing. Mm-hmm. I know all those knew all those rascals. Yeah. No, he's a he's a, he's a great drummer. Um, and again, you guys both talk about it in the interview. But you guys, you know, he's a very underrated drummer that I don't think uh, people people talk about enough. But. Um, and you, you've also said in that same interview that Uptown Girl, When in Rome, and Half a Mile Away are basically you just trying to be Dino. Yeah, yeah. Everything <laughs> is guess, trying to be somebody else. Like, which is the theme. Uh, get, yeah. get it right the get it right the first time. I'm trying to be Steve Gadd. You yeah, know? yeah. <laughs> but but Liberty DeVito is in it. You know. <laughs> All right, we'll be right back with the show. But I wanted to take a second to talk about Waves Audio. This podcast would take me so much longer to edit if it wasn't for the Waves Vocal Writer plugin. It rides the fader in real time and keeps both my and my guest's audio at a consistent level without the need to overcompress. I also use an endless amount of their plugins for my musical recordings, such as Abbey Road Saturator, CLA Drums, the SSL channel, and many more. We're an affiliate member, so if this show has brought you any sort of value, the next time you purchase any Waves plugins, please use the link via the show notes. You directly support the show and little old me. All right, now back to the five ways to color in uh, inside the lines. Bye. Moving on. Um, the Stranger is one of my favorite sounding records from that era, if not in general. And I want to talk to you about a few songs from those sessions. Um, in Just the Way You Are, you said that you recorded it with brushes in the right hand and a stick in the left hand. So can you tell me a little bit about why you made that choice? I played weddings before I got the gig with Billy. I played weddings for two and a half years. Okay. And you have to play a lot of ethnic music. Yes. And, and you play a bossa nova with a brush and a stick. Oh, yeah. You, you know, so that sound of the on the snare drum, I was familiar with. And it just sounded like the guitar to me, like mm-hmm. the, the way the guys were strumming the guitar. They were very light on the guitar, mm-hmm. you know, so you didn't want to get heavy. And you didn't want that. You didn't want any iron, you know, no iron. Yeah. So the brush on the snare. Yeah, because a song like that, a younger drummer, you're like, you're trying to play that beat on the hi-hat. And you're like, it doesn't sound like what Liberty did. And then you'd never think, I guess, I never thought to think, oh, he's, it's because he's not using a stick. Um, and it's, it's again, so easy, but. And so, the bass drum, too, is another thing in that song. It, okay. It's on three. The, the bass drum's on three because it's, it's a, a reggae thing. Mm-hmm. You know, re- reggae, it's always on three. Yeah. And I do want to play um, Just the Way You Are, just because we were talking about it. And then I want to talk about uh, Get It Right the First Time. But let's go to Just the Way You Are first. And I don't see you anymore. I would not leave you in times of trouble. We never could have come this far. I took the good times I'll take the bad times I take you just the way you are And again the studio the restraint that just doing the downbeats on those cymbals and not even doing a da da boom boom going back into it just going back into the beat it's like that's what the song needs at that yeah. moment. It almost didn't make it on the album, the song. <laughs> I'm we not surprised band. at all. That's a, that's a common tale of hits. We were a rock band. Yeah. yeah. We hated it. It's like lounge, lounge music. 
then Linda Ronstadt and Phoebe Snow come walking in the studio. We played it for them. They said, if you guys put that on your album, you get more girls than you know what to do with. Boom, <laughs> went right on the album. <laughs> it's just an album of 14 of, the, of that track in a row. <laughs> All right, you so, know, it's funny. Yeah. I'm really good friends with, with Danny Seraphine now, you know, okay. from Chicago. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I was playing the weddings, um, uh, Color My World was the big wedding song. Okay. And and then after I stopped playing the weddings, then just the way you are bumped calling my world out of the number one spot for weddings. <laughs> Did you give him a call and just like, hey man, I'm sorry, but <laughs> Yeah. I told him, I said, yeah, you know. <laughs> now now it's what, probably like Bruno Mars or something? Something. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Something a disc jockey's playing. <laughs> exactly. yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um all right. So I do want to talk about again this. I'm not sure if you're a, a big fan of Radiohead or really know much of their music, um, but this, the drums on this record actually sound like Radiohead could sample those today and Phil could be playing those. Just the way they sound are so timeless. And the intro of this song, um, Get It Right the First Time, again, this could be like a Radiohead song. And I mean that with the utmost respect because on this podcast, we've talked about Phil I mean, almost every other show. So, um, but yeah, this is a get it right the first time from The Stranger. I hope that looks don't deceive I ain't got time for true confessions Gotta make the move right now Got to meet that girl somehow Get it right the first time That's the main thing Oh, yeah, it's funny um, <clears throat> And when you read the book You'll read about this But <laughs> Yes, I'm gonna read it tonight, damn it Okay, I'm gonna go <laughs> I, I, I couldn't just start that beat I always had to do a fill like Okay. And I can do it. Yeah. You yeah. know, so that's why it fades in because we didn't want the film to be. That's funny. <laughs> but that snare drum, mm-hmm. you, you know, the when you order a set of uh, Ludwigs, yeah. Uh, I know back in the day, if you ordered a set of Ludwigs, you would get a, a chrome snare. And it was a cheap one with little strings that hung, the snare hung on. Yeah. You know, that's what that snare is. Yeah, I, I mean, that's I've heard Keltner talk about, uh, forget the song, but it was like some some Vista light that he got at Pro Drum that didn't even tune, which is like not a lot of people record with Vista lights. And so it's awesome when it's just you think it's these like million dollar, you know, Terminator snare drums. And it's like, no, it's just like a little toy drum that came with the, <laughs> with the set. Yeah, so it's like you go to the NAMM show and they're showing you drums. Oh, we did this to it. We did that to it. And I'm like, you know, I, it's about the drummer. It's not, you know, I, I, I always say it, it you know, it, it's the it's the archer, not the arrow. You know, you know, you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. And, and um, you know, I, I always say, why don't you do something good for me? Make a felt that goes on my symbol. Make it white so when it falls on the black rug, I can find it. <laughs> oh my God! Yeah, let's just let's How just have a moment of silence for all the felts we've lost over the years. <laughs> Gosh, or a drum key that doesn't have legs the second it hits the floor too. That would be nice. Gone. It's gone. <laughs> Always. You lend it to somebody. It's gone. <laughs> Oh my God! But I mean, even though, and you kind of talk about you don't think about the parts in real time as clinically as some people might. But you, from the intro to the verse, it's the same-ish beat, but you just don't do those open hi hats, you know, on right. the end of the beat, just because that's when he's singing. Those kind of things that really showcase what a true studio drummer is. That like, the listener, you're still in the groove; it's still moving forward, but something drops out, whether they realize it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's great. <laughs> That one, uh, I, I actually did work on that. I, oh, okay. I no, I went home and and I tried to come up with something, you know, mm-hmm. uh, like other songs. I I don't think of what I'm going to do until I hear Billy play the song. You sure. know, you know, some of the fills in the beginning of the songs, like uh, Allentown. Why did I go? Brah, brah, boom, boom, brah, boom. I don't know. I don't know why I did that. <laughs> yeah. Uptown Girl. Why did I go? Da, 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 boom, da, 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 you know, I don't know. 
Yeah. It just did. Yeah. <laughs> well, again, it might have been one of those times, like, dude, just, just start the song, and then you just did it, and he's like, that's it. Don't ever change it again. You're like, all right, all right, there, 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 right. there you go. Right. Thank goodness um, they taped it, because I can't write it out. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So, and I, I, I'm going to say it. It's so unfortunate for this drummer that I think every time someone talks about him nowadays, they go, I'm going to butcher his name. Like, that's part of his name now, is I'm going to butcher yeah. his name, Carmine Apice. Is that how? That's I've always either, said. It. It's either a piece, okay, or apathy. Okay, so neither of the ones that I said. Awesome. Right. So, <laughs> so Carmine brother, Apice. Vinny, you know, Vinny played with Dio and all those. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, so Carmine goes by Carmine Apice. Yeah. And Vinny goes by uh, Carmine Ap. Uh, no, Carmine Apice, Vinny Apice. Okay. <laughs> So Carmine Apice, um, and it's, it's when he was playing with Vanilla Fudge, and you said just the sound of his drums were so amazing. Yes. Um, so why don't you talk about it, and then afterwards, then I'll I'll uh, I'll play a, a clip. So well, I had seen them live. Uh, the the same band that I played with uh, when I saw Billy for the first time, um, we were the house band at a place called the My House in Plainview. Mm-hmm. It was a underage, no liquor sold or anything like that, and. I had heard the Vanilla Fudge on on the radio, you know, because FM was just breaking and they were playing these songs. And um, so we found out that they're going to come and play tomorrow night. They're going to play and we're going to open up for them. So somebody said, have you ever seen them? And I said, no. And they were playing at a a place called the Action House. And I had phony proof. So they said, you want to see them? Let's go. We'll go there right now and see them. (laughs) We went there. We saw them. And when I heard Carmine play, I actually got frightened because he was so powerful. Yeah. It was everything Dino did, but intense. Mm. It was like, you know, you see a little lizard crawling across the thing, and then all of a sudden you see Godzilla coming next. <laughs> yeah. like, holy cow. It yeah. scared me. And then the next day when they played live, it, I was standing right in front of him, and it, he had like a a 28-inch bass drum yep. that the front head just wobbled when every time he hit it. You know, it, it was it was just amazing the way he struck the bass, the snare drum and everything. And he that was back me. that was back in the early days where he basically just had the kick, one tom, floor tom, yes. and like three cymbals, right? He wasn't in the double bass. That was it. Yeah, nope. yet. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to I was trying to get the actual good audio from their performance on Ed Sullivan where he has that that ruby like red sparkle drum set yeah. his his performance um uh, great performance yeah. yeah is is uh when they were playing take me i'm uh, sorry uh what's the song they were playing um you keep me hanging on so yeah if if, if you guys i'm not going to play it here because the audio is crappy but them playing um you keep me hanging on on ed sullivan and i actually think the better recording of it is when it's carmine's vic firth artist spotlight because they actually have the real audio I think if you just YouTube it, the audio that's on that performance is this. They were like lip syncing it or something. So go check out his um, uh, Vic Firth Artist Spotlight because you can actually hear the audio from that recording. And it's so good. But, Have you um, ever met Kama? No, I, didn't, I haven't met him, but I saw him play. And maybe you've done this too. At, at NAMM, they have the Bonzo Bash. Yeah. I did a Bonzo Bash once. Oh, you did? Yeah. yeah. And so I think it was 2017, and he didn't play drums, but he did his little um, stick stick trick thing he does. Yeah. He was kind of emceeing. So I was like so you know, bummed. because I'm like, just get behind the drum sets right there. You know, Led Zeppelin used to open up for um, yeah. Vanilla Fudge. Yeah. And he's, Carmine, at least in, for my generation, is very famous, which it, like saying that the 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 bottom triplet is actually the Carmine triplet. Um, well, I, there is a um, a video of Led Zeppelin playing uh, a real early video of them, and and it's it's everything Carmine did. Yeah, it's it's, it's like if if you could take Bonham out and just put Carmine in there, and it's like the same thing. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't. Carmine's amazing. I mean, even to, to, to this day, there's, there, there's very recent videos of him just going so fast and so powerful. Yeah. And it's like, that makes me, I'm, I'm 33 and I'm like out of breath just watching it. I'm like, how the hell do you have that much endurance? <laughs> the showmanship alone, I mean, whether you, I mean, I don't think anyone yeah. can say he's not a good drummer, but if you just dissect his showmanship, 
Ringo, yes, of course. He was on the high rise doing that thing. But Carmine was one of the first. I mean, I guess Gene Krupa, too. But in that that kind of context. Yeah. For me, he took Dino Danelli and did the show like Dino was doing the show. You know, Dino used to stand up, throw sticks way up in the air, catch sure. them, and flip them, and all that kind of stuff. Dino was doing that. I mean, Carmine was doing that, but with power behind them. Yeah. Like, holy cow. Yeah. Uh, so the next one is, um, it's, it's actually going to be also, uh, Carmine, but it's hearing, uh, Parchment Farm from Cactus, which is the band yes. that was formed after Vanilla Fudge. And, uh, let, let's go to about 235 actually. But th- this, go ahead. this was, this was the reason why I decided I, I, I'm never going to play double bass drum. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I dabbled in it when, uh, Ginger Baker was with Cream. Okay. You know, everybody went out and bought a second bass drum, mm-hmm. you know, and then you talk about lugging stuff around. You're not going to carry that thing around anymore, yeah. you know, but Baker was kind of like. Yeah, but then Parchment Farm. And the, and the other one that you're going to play. Yeah. Like, why would I even attempt? What am I going to do after that? This is insane. I definitely have some choice things to say about the second one we're going to talk about, but definitely uh, Parchment Farm. And I'm going to play it from like 2.35 on because it kind of gets a little bit of that double time. And then, of course, there's the ending. So let me just play yeah, during it. During the two- solo, it really. Yeah. <laughs> See, that stuff is like, oh, man, I'm not even going to go near that. (laughs) (laughs) It was a good choice. I don't think I'm in the same boat. That was something I did uh, uh, throughout uh, my learning process, too, was like, okay, I know things that I'm not even going to do. I'm not even going to try them, you know. Well, that does bring up a good, well, let's just talk about Hot for Teacher, which is um, the next one. And then I I do want to touch on that. So, yes, this is Hot Hot for Teacher by Van Halen. Um, that's just from the very beginning. It's a motorcycle graphic app, that's yeah. what that is. I mean, I'll, I'll let you talk, but I have I have a few things to say about that. Well, you, you know what it is too. When you listen to it, you think, "Wow, he really played that great." But you know, that wasn't the first take. I mean, you had yeah. to do it a couple of times before they actually sure. got it right, and they worked it out. How did his legs hold up? <laughs> I just, I mean. I'll just ask you directly: Do you do you enjoy that drum sound, or do you kind of laugh at that drum sound? Well, I, his drum sound—they sound like roto toms. Yeah, don't they? Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, even just just the bass drum too is so not. It's it, well, it's punchy, but it's just so th- thin sounding at the same time. I don't want to. I think he's an amazing drummer, but just that song specifically. We we used to call that. Uh, and you know who else has it? Um, uh, who who plays with the Red Hot Chili Peppers? What's his name? Uh, Chad, uh, Chad Smith. Chad Smith. Yeah. It's it's like the cocaine mix. It, it, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. That's what it sounds like. It's like so like oh man, where's the bottom end? You yeah. Know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you can hear the click. 
when yeah. it's the bass drum. Yeah, it's it's like he's playing with an SM57 as the bass drum beater. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I do want to talk about that. Knowing when to like say, I'll never do that. That's something that I will allow myself to be a thing that I can't do. Um, how do you, how do you stop yourself from wanting to be, I, I guess I'll frame it this way. I'm always worried when, I, when I'm in the studio and the engineer or the bandmate or the producer says, Hey, can you do this? I never want to be able to be like, I can't do that. And so you spend all this time doing all this meaningless stuff, quote unquote, meaningless stuff that you're probably never going to use just for that 1% of the time they might ask you to do something crazy. And then when you start learning that stuff, you realize you're never going to use it, but you want to bring it in just because you spent, you know, an entire Friday night working on it. So how do you, as a professional drummer, obviously you've shown that you know how to be, um, how to have restraint. How do you balance that? Like, I want to be the craziest guy in the room, but I also know that I'm probably never going to use that. So why work on it? Well, let's say you were a great pitcher on a yeah. baseball team. You watch this guy who keeps getting more and more famous and making more and more money because he plays the outfield and he can catch these fly balls. And you think, okay, I'm going to play outfield. Yeah. And you're like, the first time it comes to you, you get hit in the head and you're knocked out on the, on the grass. Because, yeah. you know, it's like, uh, why am I even trying this? I'm good at something else. Yeah. I'm really good at something else. I know I'll never be that good at it. I, I just can't. My head is not there. Yeah. Go through a whole thing. Yeah. You know, it's funny too. It's funny too. Like speaking of pitchers, they're good at the, the pitcher throw and then they like get a ground ball and you see them throwing it to first base. And it's just like the most (laughs) awkward thing. (laughs) It rarely gets to where they want it to go. Yeah. That's a good point. (laughs) But that's not why they're getting paid a lot of money. Um, All right. So we already talked about your book, so we don't have to talk about it again (laughs) because you've already embarrassed me that I haven't read it or the foreword by Billy, but and I can edit this part out, but I did want to ask you about this just in case you don't want to talk about it. Yeah. But one of the first times I saw Billy from a few years ago, um, like actually going down a YouTube rabbit hole of kind of him playing live was his 1987 Moscow flip out, I guess, you, you know, if you oh, will. The piano. Yeah, it so can, you, can you talk about being on stage when, because I don't know, obviously I've never met Billy. I don't know his kind of general demeanor, but... When you were playing, what's your mindset when you see that going on? Well, the, the, uh, it was a CP80. It's not a real, you know, not a grand piano. Sure, it's a sure. CP80. Okay. So it, it was behind me. So we're playing the song, and he's yelling because now he was told that we were going to film okay. the, 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 the show. And, but he wasn't told that they were going to light the audience. Now, in the Soviet Union, every time uh, the, the crowd would go crazy because it was dark, they would stand up. When the lights went on and the, there were soldiers and guards all in the aisles and stuff, they would push the people down in the seats, that literally push them down in the seat. Oh. So Billy was seeing this every time the lights went bright because he could film better with bright lights. And he was saying, stop turning, the, turn the lights off, turn the lights off. You're ruining my show. And nobody's doing anything because everybody's heads are down like this at the at the boards out front. Yeah. So he thought, if I turn the piano over, they're going to hear this. Yeah. And they're going to look up. You know? Yeah. So you see him. He throws the piano over, and it wasn't until I heard boom that I I looked to see what happened, <laughs> and I see him walking off, and I'm thinking to myself. Wow, that's pretty dramatic. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and, and then he goes and takes the mic stand and bangs it on his uh, grand piano. And the bottom of the mic stand goes flying off. <laughs> Luckily, he didn't hit somebody. Yeah, that would have been a whole nother story you know, we're talking about. Yeah. That, that's when it was like, uh, okay, that was a temper tantrum right there. Sure. You know, but he was under so much pressure playing the Soviet Union because three people were asked to go. Stevie Wonder. Bruce Springsteen or Billy Joel. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stevie Wonder was in the studio. Bruce, I don't know what he was doing, but Billy said, I'll go, right? Mm-hmm. We got there, and the first thing we did was an impromptu concert that was supposed to be a little jam with no monitors, no nothing, and he kind of blew his voice out. Oh, no. 
Yeah, it was real small in the theater in Tbilisi. So he was having, struggling with that. And then the French kept burying him like, who are you to represent the free world? And Billy's like, I'm not here to represent the free world. I'm just here to play music. Yeah. You know, but the French kept hounding him about it and hounding him about it. And the first time we played, we started with Angry Young Man and we're playing. The tickets were given out to the people who were members of the party first. Mm-hmm. But, you know, so we're there and, and you could hear, see the people putting their hands over their ears because we did a full concert like you would see at Madison Square Garden. Yeah. We brought all the stuff with us. Sure. So that's what they're watching. And uh, they're putting their hands over their ears and they're like squinting like it's too loud and stuff like that. So when Billy looks at me, <laughs> when we're playing Angry Man, he's going, we're dead. We're dead. It's over. <laughs> yeah. Because we have like we have like six shows to do. You know? Yeah. And this is the first song in the first show. <laughs> so, but he can hear people cheering from the back. So he makes an announcement. He goes, Look, we're doing this concert. We're doing it for you. It's loud. This is how we do it in America. It's, it'll probably get louder. So if you think it's too much for you, why don't you go in the back? And when you go back there, give the tickets to the people back there so they can come up front. Once uh, that happened, it was chaos. Oh, it was nuts. They loved us. That's awesome. Yeah. Because that was 87. So that was in, yeah, that would have been a stressful time to go over there. The wall was still up. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Was, yeah. Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, uh, there was one thing uh, that uh, we, we went and uh, had a barbecue with this other band you know people weren't they weren't allowed to have rock bands and not like that but this mm-hmm. one guy stas Naman, whose father was a part of the uh, you know, cia or whatever he was yeah um he was a- allowed to have a band because his father was connected in mm-hmm. russia and i remember going and seeing this band play and the symbols on this guy's drums were terrible i said i'm going to give you this, my symbols at the end of this tour you come to the show and I will give you my symbols. They'll take them off and just hand them to you. Yeah. So that I did that. I gave him the symbols. And then I found out later that as he was walking out of the place, um, they, he got stopped because you're not allowed to have something in the Soviet Union if everybody can't have it. Right. Wow. Yep, so the guy said, where are you going with those? What are you doing with those? And he said, the drummer gave them to, to me. And he goes, you can't have these. He goes, no, 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 you don't understand. They're broken. And he says, showed him the hole in the middle. And he said, see, <laughs> they're broken. And the guy went, okay. And he left with the symbols. I was going to say, with how, I mean, like you play with power. I'm, I'm surprised they weren't broken in general, you know? <laughs> no, they were just the holes that put, you know, you put them on yeah, the stand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's like, yeah, those look like crap. Get them out of here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, um, I'm gonna we're, we're gonna wrap this up, but can you do a little a uh, little self promotion of what you're up to these days? I mean, obviously it's it's a pandemic, but hopefully by the end yeah. of the year you will be able to play more live shows. And where can people see you live? And where can they follow you? Where can they buy your book? Which I'm, I'm asking you, where can I buy your book? Is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> uh, actually, um, the book you can buy it on HudsonMusic.com. Okay. Or uh, Amazon. Okay. Those two places. I'm actually in the process right now of doing the audio book, which you want to talk about. I want to die sometimes. It's like, yeah. this is unbelievable. You know, books were, were made to be read, not said. I you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's torture. Yeah. Um, uh, so those two places, Hutchin Music, Amazon. I have two, I'm playing with two bands these days. The Slim Kings mm-hmm. uh, is, is one of my bands. Uh, it's with younger guys like your age. Yeah. That um, I, I, I always say that guys that have had this success in a career like I've had, when they leave that band and they start another one, it sounds like the band that they just left. You know, like they sound like classic rock. Yeah. I did not want that to happen. So I hooked up with these young guys who have young ideas. I'm the old school guy. You know, just keeping the beat going, yeah. you know, and uh, it really seems to work out. And so Slim Kings have a Facebook page mm-hmm. and and, uh, and the Lords of 52nd Street, uh, myself, yeah. Russell Javers and uh, Richie Kanata, 
who played on the records. We were all Billy's original band. And um, we go around and we have a guy that does Billy's part and uh, other guys in the band, bass and, and second keyboard and guitar. And we play all of Billy's songs and uh, we travel around, do theaters. That's As a matter awesome. of fact, I think the first gig that I actually have again is in May. May 1st is with the Slim Kings, someplace in Connecticut. And then the week, the next week, the next Saturday is the Lords in the same place. <laughs> so <laughs> it's just, I think they're going to start to do outdoor gigs now again. Okay. We ended with outdoor gigs. Mm. You know, we're in a parking lot and there's cars. People tune in the radio because, you know, they, they can get the frequency. Yeah. And they hear us playing, but they could see us. And it was weird because they don't clap. They beep horns at the end of the song. Yeah, you're like, was that, I mean, is that a good thing? I guess, yeah, they're, 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 there's no good horn and bad horn. Right. <laughs> How do you boo? Right. <laughs> just like, yeah. Yeah, just leave. Uh, backfire or something. <laughs> but uh, All right, Liberty. Well, uh, thank you so much for taking the time. Um, I think I took up a lot of it, so I, I appreciate you helping me. Uh, yeah, have a good day, man. Thanks. I'll see you again. <laughs> See you soon, dude. Ciao. And that's the show. Be sure to subscribe. And if you're listening on a platform that allows for ratings or reviews, do that. It helps more people find the show, which means the show will get better and bigger. And hopefully I'll have a chance to sell out one day. But you'd be an OG listener that could brag to all your friends. Um, anyways, also, why don't you go ahead and check out BigFatSnareDrum.com and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and all the socials. Just search for at BigFatSnareDrum and you will find it. This show is edited in part using Isotope RX8 Audio Editor. It's amazing. So go check that out at Isotope.com. Bye.